Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to be open to receive from your word. Uh, Whatever is going on in our hearts and our minds right now, the things that might distract us, that we may be able to put those aside and hear what you have to say to us. By your Holy Spirit, transform your church to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to begin this morning with a question. What were you doing in 1955? Few of us can't answer that question. We weren't doing much. Uh, Some of you can. Some of you might be able to think back and maybe remember something from that year. 1955. The reason, um, go ahead and go just the black screen. The reason that I ask you that question is because I would like to introduce you to two ladies who were doing something specific in 1955. Patsy, who lives in England and Carol Ann, who lives in South Carolina. They were 12 years old, and they became pen pals. And they would write to one another, and in their own descriptions, they started with pencil, and then eventually pen, and then typing, and now emailing. (laughs) They have been writing one another from 1955 until August of this year, when they finally met face-to-face for the first time. Do you imagine that kind of relationship? I mean, that many, almost 70 years, they were in relationship without ever seeing each other until this year. And that is a little bit of what this parable is about. Because I want to confess something with you. I have never seen Jesus face to face. I've never sat down with him. And just like he was at the table and I was at the table and we were eating, um, I've never had that before. So what do we do between now and when we do see him? What's our role? What's our job? What's he calling us to? Because this parable is a setup partly for Advent. Um, This is part of our lectionary reading. And so there's a story about the coming of Christ And Advent is the celebration of his first and his second coming. This is setting us up. So what do we do? That's this parable. I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. It is on page 1413 in those black pew Bibles. Matthew 25. Jesus tells this parable. So the first beginning portion of it is a little bit of an introduction. We're going to kind of work through it. Um, The way this morning will look is I have a point, and then that point is kind of general, and it gets more narrow. And then from that, I have another general point that gets more narrow. Um, But all of it is dealing with this idea between now and when I see Christ. What am I supposed to be doing? Chapter 25 and verse 1. At that time, which is a reference to his return. 
This is a reference to when the kingdom of God, as he will mention in a moment of the parable, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, has been preaching the coming of the kingdom of God and telling people, repent. The kingdom is here. And it is here right now. Not in its fullness, but it is here. The rule and reign of God, God's power to bring hope and redemption and life. It is here right now. But he says at that time when the kingdom comes in its fullness, the kingdom will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Um, And and a better way maybe of, of saying this is when the kingdom comes, that moment will be like this right here, what I'm about to share with you. It's going to be like that. And and what we're about to read is going to sound a little weird and even a little bit confusing. And you may wonder what's going on because there's not a lot of details in here. And we don't do weddings like this. So this is the basic thing that scholars think was happening. And it's very pertinent to this parable. When someone was getting married, the highlight point would be the wedding feast. And wherever that wedding feast took place, often at the home of the bridegroom, although not necessarily, but wherever it took place, the bride would be waiting there. And she would have her ten virgins or her bridesmaids waiting with her. And someone would be looking out for the bridegroom to be coming to the wedding banquet. And once they saw him, they would shout out, he's here. And the bridesmaids would take their torches that often happened at night. They would take their torches and they would go out to meet him so they could escort him into the wedding feast by the light of all of their torches. And he would come in. The door would be closed because he's the last person to enter. It's his honor. And then he's presented at the wedding feast. That's probably what this parable is relating to. Here's what happens. Go back into the text. Here's the first part. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. This idea of wisdom and foolishness drive the parable. We'll talk about wisdom and foolishness in just a moment. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a very long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So the first thing that we need to think about and the first thing this parable moves us toward is this. Between now and when Jesus comes, we are to be wise. What does that mean? There's a difference between wisdom and intelligence, between wisdom and experience, between wisdom and just being smart. All of those things can be part of wisdom, but wisdom is how we apply what we know to various circumstances and judgments. Wisdom is when I can take something I go through and then go, now in the future, I want to make sure I don't repeat the same mistake. I've learned from it. Wisdom is when I come to a circumstance and I go, oh, let's see, based on what I know, I should be making this kind of decision here. Wisdom is the application 
of our experience, our intelligence, in order to make better decisions. So, when my daughter was young, we used to play the rhyming game as we're teaching her words. And so you'd say a word, and we'd see how many words she could rhyme with that word. And there was one time where I was going to a men's Bible study, and I had her with me, and there was childcare provided at the church. And as we're going in, I'm walking her in, and there's a small group of guys that I knew, and I said, hey, listen to this. My daughter is incredible, and she was very young, but she had a lot of words, and she could rhyme really well. I said, Kira, I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to rhyme with it. Duck. And she said her first word, and it wasn't that one, but I could just, I'm like, and I'm like, no, no, stop. Um, Bad choice of rhyming words. Um, Guess what? I have played the rhyming game with my 12-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 5-year-old as they were all growing up, and I have never started with that word again. That's wisdom. It may be the only wisdom I have, but that's wisdom. When you take the knowledge you have and you apply it in such a way to make better decisions, to do things in better ways. What we have here are five wise and five foolish. And what makes the wise ones wise is that they bring oil. The foolish ones do not. And, And why does that matter? Let's keep reading for a moment. Let me show you. Here's what happens. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So, Here's the issue. Likely these were torches, uh, not just like little lamps. They would have had something. And when they talk about the wick, there's something kind of a rag thing. There's something's wrapped around this. However, they not only were often pre-soaked, but you couldn't have them dripping. So they maybe pre-soaked, dried out some, but then there was often the need for extra oil, either to do one of two things. Once they got going, some extra oil that would keep them going, or sometimes even extra oil to get them lit in the first place. Everyone knows this. That is the point. This isn't really about length of time, because basically they see the bridegroom, they have to light their torches, walk out to meet him, and walk him back in. It didn't have to be lit for a super long time. And they didn't light them and then wait for the bridegroom to come. They lit them after he came. The point is very simple. The wise ones are the ones who went, hey, when you light torches, you've got to have some extra oil. So we brought our oil. The foolish ones are the ones who went, yeah, wait for bringing extra oil, and they just didn't do it. They just brought the torches only. And it leaves them in this position where, and this is kind of, this would never be able to happen, but it works for the story. Um, But while they were on their way to buy oil, which it's the middle of the night, nobody's open, Um, the bridegroom arrived. 
it's too late. You're at the moment to make this wise decision, and you didn't. So this idea is this wisdom. Now I'm going to narrow it. It's not wisdom necessarily just in general, although that's important. It's the wisdom of being ready. It's the wisdom of being prepared. It's specifically thinking, as I approach whatever it is, in this case it'll be the return of Christ, but in general, as I approach things, how do I use what I know in order to be ready? That is a wise thing to do. Um, Last week, uh, I think it was Wednesday, uh, because I was picking up my son, and I only pick him up on Wednesdays um, from Stride, and I had read the forecast, and it was really clear it was going to rain. And it wasn't one of those times where we're like, eh, it might, it might not. It was like 100% it's going to rain. So I stopped at Home Depot before getting him and literally looked at my umbrella and went, eh, <laughs> and headed into Home Depot. And then I'm heading toward the cash register after I you know, got the stuff I needed, and it was like God had opened the heavens <laughs> and there was a second flood coming. I mean, it was like, and you know how those big buildings sound? It was so loud. I pay for it, and I walk up to the door, and there was no way I was walking out in that. There were people swimming in from their cars to get into Home Depot. There was just so much rain. I thought, I am not ready. (laughs) I should have been ready. I read the forecast. I knew it was coming. I could see the clouds. Heck, I could partly even smell rain. It was coming. And I still ignored the umbrella. This is a call to look into the future, to see where you are going, and to say, how can I be ready? And, and again, as we keep it general, I want to ask a, a kind of bigger question that I saw multiple scholars kind of think about. And it was this. As you think about coming to the end of your life, what is your bucket list? And I don't mean the bucket list that we normally think of. I don't mean all the things that like, I want to go here and I want to go here and I want to jump out of an airplane. And I... What are the things that if you don't do this or do that, you will have regrets when you get to the end? So I want to read you a list because I want to help us think about this and I want to see what you might relate to. Here are things that people regretted when they got to the end of their life because they weren't ready for the end of their life because these are things they knew they wanted to do and didn't. Working so much at the expense of family and friendships. Standing up to bullies in school and in life. Turning off my phone more often or leaving it away from conversations. Worrying about what others thought so much about me. Not having enough confidence in myself. Being happier more and not taking life so seriously all the time. Going on trips with family and friends. Teaching my kids to do more stuff. Burying the hatchet with a family member or an old friend. 
this was interesting. This is not something I would have thought of, and yet I found it on three different lists of people giving their regrets. Trusting that voice in the back of my head more often. Not asking out that girl or boy. Not taking care of my health when I had the chance. This also I thought was interesting. Not having the courage to express my feelings in ways even like this. Not being able to like stand up in an important event where I had something to say and just say it. But I just stayed seated. Leaving goals unaccomplished. Going to be ready for that moment? What are the things that if you don't do some of this, you will have regrets when you get to the end? Wisdom says, get some of them done. Do some of those things. But in this case, our wisdom, our readiness is even more specific. Keep reading in the parable. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Again, remember the wedding banquet honors not the guests. It honors the bridegroom and the bride. And so the bridegroom is the one who comes in last, and all the light is on him. Then the door closes, not letting other people in to take away Every time I do a wedding, you're constantly telling the bride, whatever you want. And they'll often be like, can we do this? Yes. But it's not normally done. It doesn't matter. This is your wedding. You don't have to do what everybody else does. You don't have to say the words as everybody else. This is your wedding. This is about you. What do you want? This feast? We're guests. We get the joy of coming to it, but never forget it highlights Christ. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Be ready. You don't know. So let me, before I make this point about Jesus, just step back to my previous point. You have no idea when the end is going to come. What are the things you want to make sure you won't regret? Work towards doing those things. But you also have no idea when Christ is coming back. So between now and then, we are to be ready for him. How do we do that? I thought it was really interesting when I read the story about Patsy and Carol Ann. Because when they were getting ready to meet each other, it was not about what they did in the moment they met one another. In fact, when they met for the very first time, they said, we knew exactly who this other person was and it felt so natural. And they just hugged each other and they talked and they went on and on. And the daughter of one of them is who flew her mom out as a surprise and the daughter was like, I couldn't stop them. Like, they just started talking, and they, there was no preparation in that moment. It was the 68 years that led up to that moment that prepared them. It was the sharing of life that they did. And they talk about how they shared everything with each other. 
the trials and the kids, and, and they, they would write to one another and they would help each other in their time where they were struggling. You see, the preparation for their meeting was how they lived in relationship with one another up to that point. That's our preparation for the coming of Christ. It is how we live in relationship to him between now and whenever that happens. Number one, and the most important, have you trusted him? Because that is the number one thing. Have you trusted Christ for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your eternity? Do you lean into him and have confidence that you have eternal life because of him? That's the first step. And yet out of that step is a relationship that says, Lord, what do you want for my life? And does my life, how I talk to people, the decisions I make, the things that I do, are those things reflecting who you are and are they done because of you? How often do you ask yourself, do you remember that question, what would Jesus do? I mean, if you come from an evangelical world, you definitely know that question. What would Jesus do? There were bracelets and all this kind of stuff. And the idea is good. Um, I think that it needs to start well before when you use that bracelet, though. That bracelet was a, I come to a moment, and then I go, what would Jesus do? We should be asking that question every day, all the time, because it teaches us who he is. What was Jesus like? What did Jesus value? What are the principles of the kingdom of God? What was Jesus doing in different circumstances and with different kinds of people? We should be asking that now, all the time. So that in our moments where we have to go, what would Jesus do? We might have an idea because we know Jesus. I saw something this morning that, I don't know, I thought it was beautiful. Um, about once a week, maybe it's every other week or so, um, I go over to Duck Creek Pancake House, which is like two minutes from our house. It's in Riverdale. It's one of our two restaurants. Um, we have two restaurants in Riverdale. That's one of them. And I go over there because Aaron loves their hash browns. And I'll just go over and I'll buy her a side of hash browns. And I go in now and Angie, who is one of the servers who knows us at this point, I walk in the door and she waits for a moment to see if anyone's behind me. And if no one's behind me, she goes, hash browns? <laughs> yes, hash browns. And so she comes up, and she takes the order, and then she walks back to get it. And I just stand there, which is always awkward because I'm looking at everybody waiting for my order. But it was really empty this morning. There was a single older couple. My guess, they were probably in their 70s. And they're sitting in a booth saying nothing to each other. They're just sitting there. And in my little brain, I'm going, hmm, are they having an argument? Did he do something this morning that really ticked her off? Or do they just not talk anymore? Um, maybe one of them doesn't talk. I wonder what's going on. I'm, just, I'm making up all this stuff. And then she, they both have coffee. She takes a drink of coffee, sets it down with kind of a weird look on her face like, ugh. He reaches out, grabs a creamer, opens it, puts it into her coffee, and stirs her coffee. And then she takes a drink and smiles. And I thought, 
That is knowing somebody. I don't know what was going on before that point, but in that moment, all it took was her just making this face and, and he knew what to do because he knew her. I don't know how many years they were together. Maybe they'd been married for 50 years, but he knew her. Christ knows us that well. We are called to know him in a similar way. Because it's in that knowledge that we can live a life that would honor him. That at any point, Christ could show up and we'd be doing what he does. We'd be talking like him. We'd be treating people like he was treating people. There wouldn't be this moment of, oh no. You know, like when you walk in on your kid and they're doing what they're not supposed to be doing? (laughs) There won't be that moment because we know him and we're building our lives off of that. What are we to do between now and then? Know Christ and live like him. Ask ourselves every day, what would Christ do? And then, and then learn it. It's not just a generic question. It's in the scriptures. It's in all the people around us who are believers and living like Jesus. Sometimes in non-believers who are still living like Jesus. Live like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this is not all there is. That he came 2,000 years ago. And he did everything necessary for us to have eternal life. For us to have forgiveness of our sins. For us to live forever with you. But he's also coming back. Coming back to make the full reality of eternity. Our experience, our life. Lord, between now and then, may we live like him. Every day coming to know him a little better. Always asking ourselves, what was Jesus like? How did he treat people? What kinds of decisions did he make? Help us to do the same things he did. That we might honor him. That we might be wise in being ready for his return. In Jesus' holy name, amen.